Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another episode of The Gluten-Free Voice. I'm Jules Shepard, and I'm pleased to have a wonderful guest on the show today who's going to help us all understand a little bit more about what it means when we hear the words gluten-free and oats in the same sentence together. I remember when I was first diagnosed with celiac disease back in the 90s, gluten-free you know, meant you couldn't have wheat, barley, rye, or oats. And the reason was because oats were so widely contaminated with these other gluten-free grains that people actually thought oats contained gluten themselves. And it took some time and, you know, some research, but they finally really figured out, and everybody's on the same page now, we all agree, naturally oats are not gluten-containing grains. However, the reality is that the way that they're grown, processed, harvested, packaged, all of those things, they come into contact with gluten to such an extent that unless they are separated in every one of those processes, they are contaminated with gluten. So if you pick up a package of oats and it doesn't say you know, that they are gluten-free on them, those are contaminated oats. And it's very confusing for people, particularly in the beginning of a gluten-free diet, to understand, you know, well, I don't understand how am I supposed to tell which ones are safe and which ones are not. So um, with that in mind, and also with the fact that there are some companies now who are manufacturing products with oat flour, and they are not necessarily using oats that are grown in this segregated way that we'll be talking about, you know, people are, are really super confused, understandably, with what is safe when you have celiac disease or have gluten sensitivity, and you're trying to feed your family something wonderful and wholesome and, and fiber-rich and nutrient-rich like oats, how do you do it? How do you do it safely? So I'm super excited to have on the show somebody who's far more expert than I on this particular topic, and that is Seton Smith. And he is the, I don't know, I go to him with questions about oats whenever I have them. He is the guru of oats, in my opinion. He is from Gluten-Free Harvest, which you may know also as Gluten-Free Oats, the company named Gluten-Free Oats. You can find him on Twitter at Gluten-Free Oats. I met Seton um, probably six years ago at the Gluten Intolerance Group of North America conference in Seattle when I was speaking. And in between lectures, somehow um, I came in contact with Seton, and my, my husband was just absolutely enamored with him because of his passion about what he does, which you're going to hear today about growing gluten-free oats. And I don't want to spoil it, but he has done some amazing things, he and his family, to really set their company apart in the gluten-free oat world. And he's going to tell us all about that and then also get into, at the end, you know, really how do we determine as consumers what's safe. So without further ado, I'd love to introduce you to Seton. Thank you so much for coming to, onto the show today. Well, thank you, Jules. I am really honored to be here and really excited to be able to give back to others on a gluten-free diet. 
that's been sort of our motto since we started this. Uh, I mean, it's so important that I help you out and how everybody else out that I actually am in the field right now, um, and Forrest is driving the combine for me for a short pit, uh, stint. But um, that that's as important as this is to me is to be able to share that. So, um, so you're actually in the field taking this um, this radio show on it from your truck <laughs> in your field. Yeah, I mean, to I'm the in combine my executive office. Yes, exactly. I'm in my executive office right now um, with my Gatorade here to re-quench my thirst Wonderful. and hop on the combine as soon as we get done. <laughs> that's, that's Well, thank you. I, I don't want to take you away from your, your important job, which is providing all of us with wonderful oats, but thank you for taking some time out of your busy day today. You mentioned Forrest, and for those who don't know, Forrest was actually the original founder of the company. Forrest is Seton's son. Can you tell us, Seton, just a little bit about how the company came to be and what you know, how Forrest you know started the company and and why? I think this is a really fascinating story. Well, yeah, that's a cool, really story, and it helps set the stage on why we do this. Um, I'll go back to sort of the beginning. Forrest was two years old, um, and that was in 1990. And doctors didn't know what was going on. Um, they had pretty much given up, you know, a lot of hope. Uh, they were getting ready to do exploratory surgery, as a lot of people listening may be in the same dilemma, and um, really didn't have an idea where we're at. Um, finally, we got with a dietitian, identified what it was, and um, the, uh, they put, on, put him on a wheat-free diet in the hospital, and the dietitian and saw him feeding him the cream out of a Boston cream pie. And she said, why are you feeding him that? He's on a wheat-free diet. She said, yeah, I am. I'm only feeding him the cream between it. And the dietitian looked at us and said, take your child home before we kill him. Give him meat and potatoes and bacon and eggs, and you'll have a brand-new child in two weeks. And, um, you know, as as the terrible twos, uh, we didn't have that with him. He'd fall asleep in his dinner plate. Um, oh we had God. to hold his head up for his first um, haircut, which most boys don't want. And uh, so we really, you know, sort of got indoctrinated pretty early in 1990 when there was nothing out there. Uh, gluten-free really wasn't cool then. Um, <laughs> yeah. I remember learning learning about that through a CSA conference. And um, one of the things that stuck with us at that point was the comment that they one lady told us is, Teach him what he can have, not what he can't have, and teach yeah. him what he can do, and not and rather than what he can't do. And that's been yeah. sort of our motto through that. Um, so Forrest has always been focused on giving back. Um, the Celiac support or the Celiac group is really ones that want to help each other. So uh, as he got into high school, he's involved in FFA for Future Farmers of America, and he was charged to come up with the ag-related business, and we live in rural Wyoming uh, by Yellowstone, and he said, Dad, I've never had an oatmeal cookie. I've never been able to eat Grandma's apple crisp at Thanksgiving. What's it taste like? And then he said, is there a way we can see if oats, you know, is it oats or is it the the wheat that's in the oats? Uh, Because I come from a farming background and understood it as a kid, Um, and I said, well, let's do some research, and then in 2004, there was sort of this this thought that maybe it's the process and not the grain, like you mentioned earlier. 
started this out all on our kitchen table with a flaker. And originally I thought you do a, you, it's just an assignment for him to get a good grade and to be over with. And, um, we, uh, again, believe in giving back. So we had our own support group here, uh, first gluten-free diet in the area, Powell and Cody. And we thought, well, we'll, we'll serve them and it'll be over at the end of the year. And uh, one thing led to another. We got invited to a show in Casper. Uh, there was a doctor from the East Coast and an author from the West Coast. They saw our product and took it to both um, coasts. And then the door started open. And mm-hmm. so we figured out that the kitchen table wasn't big enough. And so we <laughs> People wanted moved this stuff, the gr- didn't they? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was it literally... Uh, Forrester would go to school and he'd come home and he would grind all night long and or till late in the evening and then I'd take over and then the next day we'd put it in boxes and ship them out and uh, so we we went through and remodeled our garage so that it would be FDA approved and we moved into that new facility I'll call it and <laughs> then well, uh, well we, backing up yep. a second where did where did you get these oats did you grow these oats yourself or did you buy them from someone who had a dedicated space or, or how did how did you get those first oats well the very first oats we bought a uh, sack of stabilized groats and we put them out on the table and went through and painstakingly picked them out hmm. and then then as we decided it was time to go into this processing um literally we sold our camper to buy our first 10 acres of oats. And um, that's where we, we knew where it was planted. We knew what seed went into it. We knew what equipment was in there. We walked the fields. Um, we actually made him jump straight from the car right there in the field. So there was no cross-contamination opportunities. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and, and walk us through that just a little bit. You know, when you said... First of all, that the first oats you sat and you picked through them, and then you had the the fields that you were growing yourself, and you walk the fields. Can you see when you walk the fields? Can you see when you're looking at them on a table? How, how to someone who's never done this before, how do you determine which is the oat and which is the wheat or the barley or the rye? Do they look a lot alike? Are they are they very similarly sized? Are they often you know found in the same fields? What what does that look like? Yeah, that's a good question. The um in the field, uh, an oat head, well, a wheat, rye, and barley head is similar to a fiber optic nightlight. You know how they stand straight up and shine really bright? Yeah. And an oat head sort of hangs its head down. It's sort of the ah. droopy head. Uh-huh. So um, what we've learned is we get out and, and then we grow a variety of oats that's about six inches shorter than normal oats, which is then shorter than wheat, rye, and barley. So this is what fascinated were, my husband because he said yeah. they grow special oats so that they're shorter <laughs> and you can see the wheat, rye, and barley in the in the field, which I, I was so novel to me. It was just such a brilliant idea. I'm like, why doesn't everybody do that? But that's so fantastic. So so we and we figured out when we can go to the field and um, see the shine the best. And um, I mean, so we inspect every field and um, you know all of the equipment, but you can. You can identify those out of there because the thing I tell people is as long as the birds fly and the deer do their business in our field and that little old lady feeds those birds the bird seed, which has wheat, rye, and barley in it, um, 
there's going to be volunteer wheat, rye, and barley in the field. So you've got to make sure you're out there in the field watching that. Um, and so we're very active that we're growing in. Uh, then once it gets to the table, I'll go back to the beginning, there is a difference in the size and shape of them. The hard part is when you're trying to, once you train your eye, you can see it. Um, but if you're passing through, you know, a mill at really a good mill will do 8,000 pounds of seed an hour. So if you do a pound of seed is about, oh, I think it's 20,000 kernels. So um, for you to look through 20,000 of those, you know, you know, for 40,000 or, you know, um, 8,000 pounds an hour, that's a lot of seeds to pay attention to. Yeah. So my analogy is... So you pretty is, quickly take, figured out that that wasn't the way to go. <laughs> right. I, I visualize it. I take my whole crop and lay it out on this big table, which I'm looking over right now, and I'm able to inspect it for three or four times before as it's maturing. And mm-hmm. we can pick it out, or if there's a problem, I can actually mow it down so it doesn't get in there. Wow. So, so the and the the oats that you grow that are about six inches shorter, how long did it take you to find that variety? And is that pretty common and commonly available now in those who are growing gluten free oats? Or is, are you doing something a little different? Um, what is what's that like? Well, we worked very closely with um, a local grower here, Mike Foreman, and then also Wyoming Seed Certification. Um, I learned a long time ago, I tapped into people that are experts. Um, the Wyoming Seed Certification and, and the uh, um, Certification Lab here actually had worked on this um, oat. Um, their focus was a different focus. It was for not lodging and better foliage for cattle feed. Um, and so when I did the research, he said, well, so we've sort of set on that, and it's done very well for us. Mm-hmm. Well, so and, it's and not it a GMO the, product. Yeah, it's a non-GMO. Yeah, yeah that's uh-huh. that's really. I'm sure that that'll put a lot of people at ease as well to know that. Mm-hmm. But how handy yep. that it makes it easier for you to walk the fields and to see if you've got any strays um, from the bird seed or other things, as you mentioned. Well, right. so backing up, and I think I, I interrupted you earlier when you started to say that you outgrew your garage. Can you finish that story? Like how did how long had you been going when you outgrew your garage and the demand had presented itself that people were really interested in, in having a, a truly gluten-free oat product and you needed more than just your kitchen table in your garage? Well, it was probably about, oh, a year into it, we realized that this is not going to work. And so um, we went in and, and, again, really with a focus to serve others on a gluten-free diet because we were the first company in the United States to offer a certified, dedicated, gluten-free oat mill. So we we invested in in a 4,200-square-foot building and – had that in progress, and we're three days from what we call closing it in, and a microburst came through and blew it over. Oh um, I mean, just demolished it. Um, I mean, just really just tipped it over on its side. And so we, um, you know, just sat back and said, so okay, all right, Lord. <laughs> Lord, what yeah. do you want us to do next? And uh, 
it was amazing that next weekend there was about 25 men from around Powell that showed up and helped us tear it apart. And we sat down with the builder and said, okay, how do we make this a win-win? And again, focusing on what is the right thing to do and the way to come out of this without getting mad or, you know, was anything, nothing he did wrong. And so um, they took it all again, and then they all came back out and helped us reskin it. Um, if we wouldn't have that, gluten-free oats or GF harvest would have been done then. So. You you had a an old-fashioned barn raising. Yes, exactly. <laughs> a bunch of good staff that came out and did a barn raising. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's fantastic. What a story. Well, I'm glad that it worked out because we wouldn't, like you said, we wouldn't have the gluten-free oats today. So you were the first dedicated gluten-free oat company um, in the U.S., or were there people going on in Canada at the same time, or, or what was what was the situation there? In U.S., um, the we were the one that was first um, certified and was able to do a stabilized um, oat seed. Um, mm-hmm. You've got to heat it correctly, otherwise it goes rancid. Um, so, again, um, we were owned and operated by celiacs. We understood what it feels like to be cross-contaminated. So we are a little bit of a different animal in the fact that we control it from planting all the way to package. Right. So. And and you mentioned certification. Can you tell the folks who are listening who, you know, don't know as much as you and I do because all of you know, our products have to be, you know, certified from the gluten-free certification organization, um, what does that mean for you? What What's entailed with that and, and how much work is involved on your end to make sure that you actually do meet the specifications for a gluten-free seal? Oh, it's massive. Um, but I look at it as... I want the trust of everybody listening and all my clients um, to know that it's not just Seton or our family saying, we think this is gluten-free. We have GFCO that um, comes in and audits our facility. They uh, will pick up our product off the shelf or it shows. They'll do random tests on it. Um, Literally, we were told by one of their auditors that we test. My goal is... I want to over-test, and if there's an issue or a failure, I want to fail in my house and not on your table in your bowl of oatmeal. No kidding. So we are uh, organic certified, kosher certified, and GFCO certified, which that means the FDA is allowing 20 parts per million now um, right. is what their new vision is. And our to be certified by GFCO, we have to be 10 parts per million. And that's something a lot of times when we go to shows, people don't really understand, can't picture what that parts for meaning is. So yeah. the, the mental picture I do is that um, if you were to try and picture that, um, I'm trying to see, see my list of um, picture, uh, trying to find 10 pennies out of $10,000 worth of pennies or plucking 20 single minutes out of two years, mm-hmm. or picking 20 dimes out of a mile-high stack of pennies, or another one, you know, and those are just sort of examples, and we have to be t- twice that tough. So right. the corners of the trucks, we get in, any truck that hauls into us, we climb into it, and 
literally we used to have these, we called them little dental picks, but they're um, little hooks. And we would go up and down the corners because we knew as that truck drove the field, if it had been used for a gluten crop, it's going to hit a hole and that one kernel is going to shake out and it could contaminate that whole truck. Right. Or the bearing in the auger or the grain bin, the bolt on the grain bin. So that's how detailed we are and focus mm-hmm. towards it. Yeah, I think it's really helpful, as you say, to to sort of visualize it, you know, 10 pennies in, you know, this huge stack of pennies. I think that's, you know, it's it's good to imagine that out of 10 pennies out of $10,000. That's a lot yeah. of, you know, <laughs> pennies and to be able to pick mm-hmm. 10 out and, and I think that's really helpful for people. And just to clarify, if if a product, oats or otherwise, has the GFCO certification, the one that says GF and then around it it says certified gluten-free, that comes from the Gluten-Free Certification Organization. And the standard for that is that the product that bears that label has to have less than 10 parts per million gluten. And that's, again, this goes back to the penny analogy or um, the others that that you offered with minutes and and out of years, um, so it's it's a pretty high standard. And the FDA, when they issued their uh, gluten free food labeling regulations, and that were finalized last August in 2014, that standard, in order for something to be labeled gluten free in the United States, it has to have less than 20 parts per million of gluten. So the standard is twice as rigorous in in that regard. So if you see something that's certified gluten-free, you can rest assured that it's certainly below 20 parts per million, but it's going to be below 10 as well. And mm-hmm. so you're saying that you have that certification on on your products. And then, you know, I guess the other part of, of what you're describing that I think is really fascinating for people to understand is that where where GFCO and others take the product from which they're testing. And the GFCO is an independent certification organization. So they don't rely upon Seton or upon me to test our own products. I mean, we we do that ourselves anyway, but they test as well and then come in and audit and do things, you know, that are overseeing. Now, there are other folks who do not have the certifications on their products and they are thing themselves and saying we are telling the customer that we are meeting the less than 20 parts per million standard, but they don't have an independent organization that comes in and tests for them. And you and I have talked before about this, Seton. Um, you know, what does that look like in the gluten-free oat space when there are manufacturers who are selling something that is maybe not grown to the rigors and specifications that, that you follow in terms of, you know, what's called a purity protocol where it's manufactured um, or it's grown in a dedicated environment and processed and harvested and all of those things in, on dedicated equipment. That's the purity protocol. What what are other ways that other companies are manufacturing something that can be labeled gluten-free and is labeled gluten-free in this country as less than 20 parts per million? Well, there's a couple things uh, that's going on right now. There's some mills that will actually take a what I call a traditional oat mill that's doing uh, commodity-purchased oats on Monday through Thursday, and then on Friday they say, we clean it down, and we're going to do gluten-free oats that day. They may have tested the seed coming in. They may test it at the other end. 
Um, and they're doing a statistical analysis of that seed to say it's on the other side of it. The thing I, I caution everybody is remember that that same elevator, that same green bin, that same roller just rolled oats that they knew was above 20 parts per million. So that scares me to death. Um, you know, we, by us um, walking the fields, understanding that we're not relying on Statistics at the end, we are not relying on one piece of equipment to say, you know, again, in that massive amount of seed going through there to be able to pick out wheat, rye, and barley. And, I mean, there was a test done um, quite a while back, but it was on uh, Quaker Oats, and they were running, um, some of theirs was 1,800 to uh, 2,500 parts per million on a bowl of oats. Don't understand is the same combine that I'm watching go through the field right now can go from here over to a wheat and harvest it without any changes. They just drive into it. Um, so the cross contamination issues from the combine to the auger to the farmer's bin back to the truck to the co op, from the co op into a rail car, from the rail car into that mill that does maybe barley or wheat or any other one those cross-contamination issues, and and if I get to the end of my line and I stab, take a probe and stick it into these super sacks or 2,000 pounds, you're playing on the statistics to say, if there was weed in there, I found it, and I'm going to tell you about it. And where I, I literally stack the deck as hard as I can against myself to fail in the field. Before the truck can unload, it has to go through a... Um, gluten test, uh, we do a visual on it also, and then we do a moisture and thins before we can even let the truck start to unload. Um, and if it doesn't pass that, we reject it. Um, the plus is we've put the effort in in the field and have had to reject very few of them. So. And so the the companies that are now buying oats that are not grown and harvested and processed using this purity protocol that, you know, that your company does and and some others now do as well, where everything is dedicated and certainly cuts down on the possibility of contamination. The companies that are instead buying regular oats, let's call them. They're not they're not grown in any sort of special environment. They're not you know, there's no dedicated equipment involved. How do those companies then those oats that could be as heavily contaminated as your Quaker oats example that you gave a minute ago and render them quote gluten free, like under twenty parts per million? How, what would be the steps that they take to do that? How is that possible? And then what's the testing to be sure that it actually is under 20 parts per million? Well, I can't speak for exactly what they're doing, but the the information I've seen um, that's published is that they're using a mechanical means to separate that. And, you know, I, with our own mill, I'm very familiar with um, the oat processing equipment and I do know of a couple pieces of equipment that are designed to try and pick different kinds of seeds out by length or size or optics. Um, but the success ratio of that is, is getting better. 
but again, I'm not willing to risk my cross contamination to just that one machine. I want to make sure that um, I'm starting with the purest product going in, and if I put one of those machines in, I'm just going to make that's my safety net, not my only net. Right. So that's where I look at it is um, then at the other end, um, there's two different kinds of tests. They can do what they call a RIDIQUIC. Um, or ELISA R5, which is the ELISA R5 is one of the toughest tests to do. Uh, it needs a full laboratory, and it's about a three-hour test. Um, we we do both of those because, again, I want to make sure there's no um, no mistakes. And then we also ask independent labs to recheck us because I, I want to make sure that I don't make a mistake because the worst thing I could do is have somebody get cross-contaminated and I understand what it feels like to do that. Well, and and backing up, and I don't think we actually got into this at the beginning, but Forrest isn't the only celiac in your family, is he? No, I'm a celiac. My wife is, my mother-in-law, my cousin, my niece, and my aunt, uh, and sister-in-law. So uh, those are all diagnosed. Uh, we've got diabetes on both sides. So um, really, we started this company not as, wow, this is a great business plan and we're going to make a bunch of money. We started this to say, let's give back to others on a gluten-free diet. Um, you know, our whole motto for our company is our celiac family is serving yours. And we believe in that to the point where we actually allocate time or put into our budget of, of man hours is time to help consult people. Because um, until you've been diagnosed with a gluten uh diagnosis you don't understand what how do you how do you feed yourself um what the emotional trauma is i still remember coming home from the hospital standing there in front of the pantry as a young couple with our first child just barely making ends meet and looking at our pantry and say i gotta throw all this food away because it all has wheat in it and saying uh we don't have time to cook from scratch and just in tears and thinking we're gonna fail and um, so we really want to give back, and that's really the whole motto of the company is how can we help others. Well, and in a situation where a company would be making a decision about whether to buy oats that are as dedicated as yours clearly are, uh, gluten-free from, you know, moment one, and you test and test and test and, and you know, track and test and test again versus – regularly grown oats, and then they use a mechanical separation process or an optical sorter, that what would be the, I guess, the price difference for a company that's deciding which oats they want to buy for their products if they want to sell something that's going to be labeled gluten-free? And so they're looking at these two processes. Like what would be the difference between buying your dedicated oats and just buying regular oats off the market is there a percentage difference in price that you you know can kind of ballpark? I'm just wondering what the 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 amount <laughs> that you put into it, how much more expensive your oats must be. Well, we're we're competitively close, but again, um, I I invest a, the time and the effort to give you a good product. If it's a company looking at making something granola, a cupcake, or something like that. The question I ask them is, is that five or ten cents a pound difference 
if it's that much, is that worth a product recall? And for the mother that's feeding their child, is that five or ten cents difference worth the struggle? Because I remember that struggle of trying to figure yeah. out, does our son have flu? Um, did he get food poisoning? Um, is it just a phase in his life? Or does, did he get cross-contaminated? That's such frustration to me is, what's that worth to you? Yeah. Well, and all of us who have celiac ourselves or have someone in our family who has celiac or gluten sensitivity, there's nothing worse than the feeling you get after you've had something that was contaminated or you've given that to your loved one. Um, You know, I would go above and beyond any opportunity I had, certainly to avoid it or to avoid giving that to a loved one with celiac. So the... I guess the choice that the companies are facing now is, you know, what what do they what do they do if they want to serve the gluten-free market and they want to use gluten-free oats? Is there are there enough gluten-free like purity protocol gluten-free oats out there? Is this something that you see more and more growers going to, you know, migrating towards or are more and more companies instead just saying we're going to buy regular oats and we're just going to do the best we can do? Well, I would say up until lately, it's been the latter. Um, there's a few mills that are going after it that are trying. Um, but as popularity of any kind of product goes, um, there's a couple new mills that came into the market, um, three of them I know for sure, that really are saying, wow, can we try and hit these numbers? Um, they have good intentions. I, I mean, I, I commend them for that. My question is, is, as consumers or purchasers for products, is that a is that a are you stepping over a dollar to uh, pick up a dime, or is it a true risk reward uh, analysis that really would help you along? And that's for each person. Um, I mean, if you have a gluten intolerance uh, similar to slight hay fever, it may not bother you to have again you're doing a statistical analysis. You're not getting the depth that we have. Um, But if you are truly a gluten intolerant person and really want to be on a strict gluten-free diet, my recommendation that you don't eat anything without the GSEO certified logo on it because you know that we're all being held accountable. Yeah, and and it's not something you can control. For uh, For the listeners to understand what that means is that if, for example, Seton was to produce oats that did not pass the 20, the 10 parts per million or less test with GFCO, if for some reason those were already on the market and they do their random audits and tests and that that had come above 10 parts per million, that GFCO has the right um, under the contract that we as, as producers sign with them to um, issue a recall of those products. That's, and that's they... Yeah, and and so it's de- there's definitely oversight, and there's definitely choices that we cannot make once we've decided we're going to participate in this program, which is very helpful. You know, I, one other issue that I hear a lot about um, Seton in in my you know social media and, and people who contact me at shows and things is some people will say I can't tolerate oats, and I'll say, you know, have you tried more than one brand of oats? Mm-hmm. And usually they'll say, no, I tried, you know, whatever, Bob's Red Mill or whatever's out on the market and really easy to, to find. Can you speak a little bit to the two issues there? One, 
that maybe those are, are not oats that are grown with a purity protocol. And two, the different types of oats that are out there that different growers will grow that maybe have different um, levels of, of avenins in them or other things that might be reactive for people that would, you know, so people understand that, that there is truly a difference between even brands of oats because of the way that the, they are grown and harvested, et cetera, but also because of the type of oats themselves. Yeah, they believe that 95 to 98.5% of us can tolerate a pure oat in our diet. Um, so there's going to be 25 to 5% of us that may not be able to accept that into our diet. I look at that in two ways. Is, um, it may be, it's not the oats. I may be allergic to the oats. No different than a person is allergic to lactose or peanuts or something else like that. So is it a a um a vena, you know the protein reaction of my body towards that seed or is it an allergic reaction to the oat itself so that's a a pretty heavy discussion that has really not been um answer hasn't been put out there um there is some studies on um different varieties of oats um they're pretty much the same there's naked oats hullus oats um there's uh um, and they're doing some studies to see is one variety less susceptible to that two and a half or five percent. Um, those studies are going on right now. Um, I have not seen a conclusion to say yes. If it's not of this variety, don't eat it at all. So uh, I can't give you a definite. You want you want Joe Blow's product with this variety only. And if you don't eat that, then you're going to get in trouble. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that's really helpful. I just I encourage people to, you know, oats are so healthy. <laughs> you know, the fiber, the nutrients in oats, and it opens up such a great opportunity in a gluten-free diet, which is already somewhat limited, to be able to mm -hmm. add oats, not just as oatmeal or oatmeal cookies, but grinding the oats and making them into oat flour. It's a fantastic baking ingredient and super, super nutrient-rich. So, those of you who are listening, if you have tried a brand of oats and maybe it, you did, it did not agree with you, and of course this is after you, if you have celiac disease, after you have been rechecked and your levels are, are good with your doctor, then that's the point where they say to introduce the oats slowly because they, they do have a lot of fiber and sometimes can upset your um, gastrointestinal <laughs> tract just because of the fiber amount if you're not used to it. But um, yeah. all that being said, um, you know, if you've tried a brand, and have not it has not agreed with you don't write oats off altogether necessarily you may want to try another brand of oats there may be a, a different strain of oats or or certainly as you've heard today um, 35 minutes worth of <laughs> discussions on how oats are grown and the various opportunities for them to go wrong um, in certain environments so you may want to try another brand and there are more and more brands out there that are now available. And the other question that I have is some people are interested in different types of oats, you know, steel cut oats, instant versus regular, oatmeal, oat flour. Um, you know, I believe you all offer all of those products as well in this that are all grown according to this purity protocol. That is correct, yes. Um we and, go through that. We also have ready to eat oatmeal cups. 
um, that are under the Canyon Oats label, and we actually separate one line in a pure line, which is a nut-free. Ours is all peanut-free, and we have a, a nut-free, um, which we uh, offer uh, tree nuts, which we almonds, coconut, and uh, walnuts. But we have separate equipment for that. So we are trying to serve a whole gamut of anybody with uh, intolerances for their diet. And how would people find out more about your products, Seton? They can go to our website at gfharvest.com, um, or we can you can go to our sister company, which is canyonoats.com, and or give us a call at 307-754-7041, and we'd love to help you with our products. Or if you have questions, we're here to give back to you. And on social media as well, there's Gluten Free yeah. Oats, um, at Gluten Free Oats on Twitter, and I believe it's Gluten Free Harvest on Facebook. Is that correct? I believe so. My son is the social media expert. <laughs> I'm I'm the old man. <laughs> oh, right. You, you sound pretty vigorous to me. I think you're out there on the combine right where you need to be taking care of us for producing all these uh, amazing products. Well, I cannot thank you enough for hopping off the combine and coming in to talk to us today. I think this has been an extremely informative conversation. I hope folks have learned a little bit about all of the different ways that oats could fit in their diets, but maybe also ways that um, they could go wrong with oats if they've had problems in the past. Maybe it's because they're not grown under the purity protocol, or maybe it's a different strain of oats that they should be trying another brand. There are certainly differences between the way your company and others produce their oats and the difference between the pure oat um, environment and the mechanical separation at the very end, and there are problems that are possible, and so you know folks really need to make the decision for themselves about whether or not that um, is right for them. It's a risk that's worth worth taking, as you said. You know, maybe someone with gluten sensitivity can tolerate a little bit more um, than another. Some people with gluten sensitivity are extremely sensitive and cannot tolerate any cross-contamination. But that's a choice that everyone needs to make for themselves and for their family, but you can't make it without the facts. And that's why I so right. appreciate you coming on today and giving us the backstory about, you know, oats, where they come from, how they're grown, and, and a little bit more about, you know, your family's dedication to the gluten-free community and also to um, producing a really safe, quality product for all of us to enjoy. And I certainly enjoy it. <laughs> I love your oats. I've been buying your oats since um, we met you back six years ago, I guess it was. Um, we sell oats on our website, and they're your oats. <laughs> and I'll say that now because I certainly am not an oat grower, but they're um, – you know, it's a wonderful product. I believe in it, and, um, you know, we try to make it available for people however we can. So thank you again so much for your time. You guys, if you have other questions, please um, reach out to Seton and his family. They've been very responsive to any questions that I've had, and, and maybe you can just talk to Forrest on social media, right? Right. That sounds great. Thank you for your time and the opportunity to share this with the community. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you later. All right. Take care out there. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.